Good morning, Interweb. Welcome back to the Artifexian podcast. In this month's episode, we follow up on galactic timekeeping and POWs and ask if surrender garb could be a thing. Inny Cairn, Yarte Yarlin is on a bit of a redemption, or is he? Could an electrified Stone Age work as a setting? Final Fantasy VII the remake, is it great, is it not? You decide. GTA 6, will it ever come out? And Bill's laptop explodes in a bag. <laughs> All of that and much more in this month's episode. <laughs> Bill, I don't really have like an opening here. Oh, I guess I do have kind of an opening. Um, can you remind me why we're recording at half one in the afternoon when usually we record at 10 on a Sunday? So this is funny. Um, I was thinking yesterday, you know, I must ask Edgar why he couldn't do Sunday um because I, I, I couldn't remember what the reason was and i was thinking that for like a, a couple of hours yesterday um and also all of yesterday i was thinking how am i going to get to this thing that i have on on sunday <laughs> and i i was simultaneously holding those two thoughts or like revisiting them like independently of each other and it wasn't till last night that i kind of put the two together so i'm away tomorrow <laughs> where are you going is that a thing you can share on air uh, I'm just going to a course for piano teachers um, about the new piano exam syllabus. Oh, you're heading up to, to Dublin, I assume, yeah? I am not. I'm heading to Thurlis. Thurlis? Oh, yeah, because they've they've kind of decentralized a lot of that stuff. Well, it's on in Dublin as well, but I just you know figured I'd go to Thurlis for a change. Hmm. Cool. Are, are you looking forward to this, or is this very much a sort of like, I need, just need to do this for work reasons? Um... I have no strong feelings. I mean, it's not not as negative as oh, I have to do it for work, but it's it's not as just yay going to a course either. It's just you know it's a thing I got to go do. I was a bit stressed about how to get there and and get back and everything, but um, I've got all that sorted. So do you, do you not drive? I do not. I thought you did. I I I can drive. Hmm. I possess the the skill and knowledge to drive. I do not possess the um, legal privilege to. Oh, I just, oh, sorry, we'll do the show in a second here, folks. Sorry. Um, is this because you just never did the, the test? Yeah, I just like, I haven't gotten around. So I'm, I'm like, I'm in the queue for a test at the moment. Oh, so you've done like the, the all the learner lessons and all that crap. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I am, I am entirely able to drive. I am, I can drive perfectly safely. I'm a good driver. I just need to get the government to sign off on that. But, but wait a minute. That means you can legally drive. You could drive to Thurlis, just find a find a buddy. Yeah, sure, yeah. Right. Yeah, I could, yeah. Oh, okay. We should go for a road trip sometime. That would be fun. Can you can you legally drive? Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm fully licensed. But you need to be two years before you can be a buddy. Oh, is that how that works? Yeah, before you can before you can be the co driver for, for someone on the learner permit, you need to be there for two years. Oh, I'm about a year and a bit into driving. So but when I lose my, my end plates. I'll be able to yes. go on a road trip with you. But sure, by that time, you probably will have a full license. Yes, yeah. I will. Okay. Then we can just take turns, you know, as we road trip around Ireland. We'll rent a car together, Edgar. <laughs> we will. And we'll, we'll go on a road trip across the Southwest. Uh, I would actually kind of really like that because I have um, a very little experience of the South of Ireland. Like, I've, I've barely been there at all. I, I've been to Cork. Um, but I don't think I've been to like Wexford or, or Wicklow uh, or Waterford, all the W's. Um, no, I've been to Wicklow. Sorry, no, because that, that abuts Dublin. But I've never been like down south. To all of, all of the places that like 
touch Carlo but aren't aren't as good. They, correct, yeah. But also things like Kerry. Never been to Kerry. Like, I've always wanted to go, but it's just like, it, it, it's always a thing of like, it's going to cost a fortune um, to go like holiday in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And it's always, it's nearly always just cheaper to, to just fly somewhere where, you know, it's cheaper. Uh, you can get like really cheap flights to like Spain and things like that. And it's nearly, it, it works out more economical to just go to Spain. Um and thus I have the, a lot of the island remains unexplored. Anyhow, first tangent. The show hasn't even started. We're already into a tangent. Um, uh, have fun tomorrow at your at your course. I intend to. Um, bro. Okay, right. Um, follow up. So we talked last month about galactic timekeeping. Um, a listener wrote in, I forget the name. I have a name in my head, but I'm not sure if that was a name that the listener wanted to be referred to as. So I'm just going to play it safe and not say anything. Listener from the last show wrote in about galactic timekeeping. And there was a response in the YouTube comments that I thought was uh, interesting. I'm just going to flag it up here. Um, Lupus590 writes, galactic timekeeping. One thing I would do is look at how real life sea ships handle timekeeping. It may not be perfect as modern ones might use time zones in a way that doesn't apply to space, but ancient sea ships may be a better thing to look at. Aeroplanes may also be something to look at as they cross time zone boundaries quickly, which may be a good analog to space travel time dilation in some cases. Um, That seems logical to me. I have no idea about how ships or airplanes handle this problem. Um, I suspect, Bill, you know a little bit more about um, the naval sphere than I do. You might have some knowledge on this. You got anything? Yeah. Mm. So I know in the Age of Sail... Um, uh, observing noon was very important. Um, and you would like you would take noon every day because it wouldn't be consistent between days, depending on on you know if you'd sailed east or west, it wouldn't necessarily be twenty four hours since the last time it was observed. You know, right? Um, so that was kind of a a, a very important um part of life on board a ship, and it was you know something that the officers would do. Then, um. At least in the in the Royal Navy, uh, watches were were kept. So there would um, I can't remember what they were all called. Let me just look it up real quick. Mm-hmm. Watch Royal Navy. Uh, there were there were different ways to do it, um, but they would be kind of uh, six or eight hour periods um, that were divided into bells. So you know when when someone says like just if they're being lighthearted or whatever, they refer to a time. I will see you at like six bells. No. You've never heard someone do that? No. Okay, so a bell is is a half hour, and that's it was a like an hourglass of half hour's duration was was turned over, and when it when it ran out, you'd ring a bell, and that was how they they kept kept time aboard uh, British vessels. Was it the job of just one dude to constantly look at this hourglass and ring the bell? Um. Potentially, yeah. I, I could see there being issues of like the dude falling asleep <laughs> and forget. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's 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 split into you split the crew into watches, so um, there may there'll be like three shifts through the day or something. I mean, I mean, sure, but like you know, yeah. even if I'm not tired, I sometimes sit in the couch and just doze off. Um, mm. It'd be really fun if just like someone's like, it's been a long time since the last bell, and then you know, Larry's there asleep in the corner. 
Yeah. I'm sure it did happen, but at least you could then reset. You could just like turn it over whenever and then you'd reset it at noon anyway. Mm. Well, that, that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also you'd probably get flogged. So <laughs> that might be a, a inducement to stay awake. Uh, you have, I, I'm assuming you don't have much knowledge about how airplanes handle this. Mm, no, but I mean, I don't think you, they need to do anything because they're just like going to follow the time zones. You know, there's the the time at the point of departure yeah. and the, the time at destination. And, I mean, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're in a different time zone to the people on the ground mm-hmm. while you're above them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, um, yeah. The thing here about this, it, it doesn't feel like a super strong analog or super strong basis to, to, to build off for me because at least if you're in a ship you're still going to have a 24-hour day wherever you end up on the planet. Um, whereas mm. that's quite different if you're in different parts of a large kind of interplanetary system. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's fair. It's plankton. Unless you're going to do something based on, like, you know, as I, yes, exactly, as I said before, based on um, the the galactic time or based on, like, some very small unit or something. Yeah. Um, when you first said that, I was like, oh, that sounds really cumbersome. But the more I've thought about it and the more people have responded, I'm kind of like, that feels like it's really the only solution um, to this. But anyway, that was uh, timekeeping. Oh, Seb Ramu has something on this as well, Bill, correct? Yeah, I think um, this was from the, the the live chat from last, last episode's premiere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sebramo, they said that the concept of multiple world times and shipboard times is addressed in the Honor Harrington series. So that's by a, a guy called David Weber, mm-hmm. I think. Weber. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> Bader. We liked August Bader. liked <laughs> August Bader. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Some trilingual <laughs> jokes going on here. Uh, yes. So, yeah, he wrote the Honor Harrington series, David Weber. Um, and that's essentially... Uh, an age of sail kind of adventure series just set in space hmm. it's v- very explicitly the the character honor harrington is based off or based on inversions of of um uh, horatio hornblower by cs forrester you've you've talked about hornblower before haven't you uh probably have mentioned them yeah, yeah. yeah. probably mentioned them I've, I've read a couple of the, the hornblower stories i haven't read that much you've read anything from the uh honor harrington series I think I started reading the first one and uh, I, c- I couldn't get into it at the time, but that's that's no um, reflection on the on the thing itself. Just, you know, sometimes I don't get into stuff. It's a reflection on Bill. Yeah, yeah absolutely. M- my own massive character deficits. <laughs> so that's just, uh, some additional galactic timekeeping stuff I thought was worthy of shouting out. Uh, another worthy shout out comes from Malton. Now, this might be a typo here. As written, it's Malton Smith, P-S-M-I-T-H. I figure it's probably Malton P. Smith, but Smith is just so much funnier. So this person is now known as Malton Smith. Uh, they wrote an email um, fo- yeah, I much prefer Smith. Yeah, Smith is great. Love it. Um, they wrote an email on following up on some prisoner war stuff we talked about last time. I, I think mm-hmm. I, rec- I recall mentioning about how. I, oh yeah, I quizzed you about the different culture, the different cultures, or prisoners of war uh, mm-hmm. during the Second World War, where Japan was kind of famous for being um, incredibly hostile 
towards prisoners of war. Um, Walton Smith writes, um, on the prisoners of war discussion, I can briefly add some info on World War II Japan. At least part of the reason Japan was so terrible to prisoners was because of their no surrender philosophy. They saw surrender prisoners as cowards not worthy of respect. Plus, because they themselves almost never surrendered, there weren't many prisoners. So the I'm nice to my prisoners, so you'll be nice to ours balance wasn't really there. And that makes sense to me. And I've talked before about how um, um, that, that, that guy Hiro Onoda, a famous Japanese holdout, I think who was still fighting the Second World War, uh, a one-man war in like the 60s or the 70s. He just was like, yeah. he refused to surrender and, you know, uh, acknowledge that the war was over and Japan had lost. So that kind of, that, that tracks with me. Like if you don't surrender and you don't, you aren't taken prisoner, then there's no onus on you to be nice to prisoners. Um, that would be a purely altruistic thing on, on your part. And also, I think it's worth adding that just in general, uh, Japanese uh, affairs in World War II were pretty bad. Like, I, there's a thing, the, there's the or word of Nanking, um, mm-hmm. which was a, a pretty gruesome massacre in, in China that the Japanese conducted. So World War II Japan was, like, brutal. Uh, or at least the military were, were like extremely brutal. Um, so yeah, that was just, just an extra little point of uh, follow up on prisoners of war. Yeah, that, that I hadn't considered that balance thing before. That's interesting. Yeah, because I think you brought up in the last show you were kind of like we treat prisoners okay because that means when we become yeah. prisoners. And yeah, it, that completely tracks with me. What what, what uh, Mister Smith is is saying. Um, final thing they say here is that um, for some reason the show notes for the last few episodes aren't showing up in certain podcast apps they use an app called Overcast uh, I'm aware of this issue I don't actually know what's causing that and I've been trying to for like months and months and months figure it out um, I think I might have a lead that's worth uh, going on um, so hopefully that will be resolved soon so thank you for notifying me I am aware of the issue we're, we're going to work it out yeah, that's, uh, you know, we, we, we do need people to, to tell us because we can't monitor all of the platforms and everything. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Um, there was just another thing in that email, actually, mm. um, to go back to episode uh, 6-8 to what I wrote in, in that episode, mm-hmm. the infiltration of the, the, the political agitators in Avesque. Mm-hmm. So they're saying here, um, during the late 1800s and early 1900s in Tsarist Russia, while they were battling the rise of socialism and liberalism, the Okhrana, which was the, the Russian Tsarist state police, went totally overboard in infiltration. The Okhrana set up its own print presses to print socialist media, they established unions, and integrated its spies and informants so successfully into anti-government movements that it ended up assassinating several high-ranking government officials. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, that's yeah. So that's kind of. I, I don't. That's, it's it's not even like motive capture or, or or institutional capture. It's kind of going so overboard in putting up the facade that it ends up doing what they're meant to be fighting. That's incredible. There, I mean, there's loads of stuff like that in, in espionage and and and, and thrillers and. Um, that's really good. That's I hadn't I hadn't known that. Um, thank you for for bringing that to our attention, Malton. You know the Mister Smith. Come on, 
to give the person the correct title. Um, the you know that the trope of like, um, are we the bad guys? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that reminds me, like they're just sitting there, and suddenly one day they're like, "Wait a minute, are we the good guys?" <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. Um, now, speaking of your work, uh, another point of follow-up comes from you uh, slash cyborg banshee from the subreddit. Um, mm-hmm. Links will be in the show notes to all of these if the show notes are appearing correctly. Um, <laughs> and they have. I, I talked in the last show about. Um, uh, you said you mentioned that the, someone uh, waved the flag of surrender, and we got talking about flags and how you notify surrenders. Mm-hmm. And they had an idea about what they term as truce dresses. Um, and they say, "Quote: uh, What if the colors of a uniform can vary with the mission of an officer? What if the bailiffs, bailiffs of Lansk uh, or the officers of one of the companies have a air quotes truce dress that looks very distinct from their everyday uniforms, such that one can identify at a glance a non-combatant who is coming to negotiate? It will be, be it will be a bit more efficient than having a separate flag as well. Um, I I think this is interesting. I think it suffers." from one problem and that is like it's it's quite hard to like quickly uh you know mm. notify of a truce because you're like hang on folks stop shooting i just need to change all of my garb um but i kind of like the idea of like if there's some sort of like um meeting between like commanders of opposing sides there's this formality that they put on yeah special garb or whatever so like this the the, the surrender has already occurred there's like a meeting of formalities afterwards, in which case, in which case, like military tradition dictates new garb be put on. I think that's kind of fun. That's that's that, yeah, that's great, and that's the kind of thing I was hoping to to come up with for because uh, because the the phrase I used was the flags and forms of truce. So that there was there was a couple of things involved in mm. in pres- in how you would present, um, and some kind of some kind of, you know, separate uniform or separate thing that you wear um, while while parlaying would would definitely fall under that. Uh, um, khakis. I don't know that it... Sorry, go on. Uh, three-quarter length khakis, Hawaiian shirts and sandals with socks. No, not a Hawaiian shirt, a bowling shirt, a black bowling shirt with flames on it. <laughs> that's very, that's a very, like, non-peaceful, do you know? It's, it's, it's quite an aggressive what's, guard. What? What could be more peaceful than bowling? <laughs> With flames. Wait, what, um, what, hold, on, hold on, sorry. What could be more peaceful than like launching a heavy iron ball at objects? Like, I mean, this is, what is more peaceful than me throwing this missile at things? Like, I mean, when you put it like that, but all <laughs> sport is, is warfare, Edgar. It is, it is. Uh, yeah, the thing about having a separate flag, um, I mean, I think... I, I don't think that, that having to change your clothes would be more efficient. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, having a flag of surrender, in, in practice, they could very often be, like, shirts or bedsheets mm-hmm. or, um, you know, things like that. Yeah, and, and someone else in the Reddit, I'm sorry, I forget the name, pointed out that my idea of having, like, a surrender bugle um, mm-hmm. would suffer from the same problem. It's like, oh, crap, we need to surrender. Where did I put my bugle? Uh, yeah. Whereas you could again, like you say, just tear off a bit of clothing and, and wave it around. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, I guess it is just that's very likely the way it is, just because it's so easy. <laughs> but, um, but like as I said at the start, you can have then like formal peace talks could involve yeah. all of these things. You got to bring your bugle yeah. and your bowling shirt with flames on it. <laughs> yeah. 
Although, I mean, a, a bugle, like, you know, you, you, militaries had musicians, so it's it's not... Hmm. It's the kind of thing that might get lost or whatever, and in some situations may not be available, but it's not actually all that out there either. It's yeah. it's a pretty... I think that's a pretty strong we do love, suggestion also. We do love uh, bringing musical instruments into, into battle. Um, is the reason behind that, like, just notification? Yeah, partially they, they can be used to communicate. Um, and... Partially, it's it's like a morale thing, and to keep the keep the time of the march. Of course, sorry, sure. That's yeah. That's why you have marching drums. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And like there, there would be, there would be you know, certain certain things that you would march to, that would um, would both serve as like to give the tempo of the march, but like kind of to give you something to sing together and create a uh, a camaraderie, and you know keep your mind off the guys with the pointy sticks and guns across the other end of the field. <laughs> pointy sticks and guns. Um, That's what they had. I know, yeah. It just, it makes it sound so, uh, so benign. Pointy sticks. Swords, spears. <laughs> um, anyhow, so then the final point of follow-up, on my end at least, is a Kalua dev from uh, the Reddit, you slash Kalua dev, um, had something to say about Irish names. Quote, Hi, I haven't listened in a little while, so this may be this may have been brought up before. Um, but the thing mentioned about having various different names for different contexts is actually a thing in Irish culture too, especially rural Irish-speaking areas. Um, would have ha- would have maintained these systems even into recent times. There's an interesting article about the naming of Tory Island, which discusses this: how people would have legal names ceremonial names and air quotes normal names the way normal names works is probably the most interesting because it's usually just referring to someone's first name sean and then specifying them perhaps with a detail about them like sean rua which means like red sean if they had red Mm. hair or sean warchin if the father's name is marchin and the names don't always come from fathers, and it's not always up one level. You can have a long string of names like Marcin, Tom, uh, Seanine, etc. And there's a link mm-hmm. to an article on this. I'll throw that in the show notes if they're showing up. Um, this I, I responded and was kind of like, I don't, I don't know if this is actually a thing because I, I've now I can't speak for all areas of Ireland, but I've lived in a couple of areas of Ireland. But I have not lived in rural Irish-speaking areas, and that's a key thing here. But from what I can tell, this I've never seen this really occur in a sort of strong, codified, formal way. Because, yeah, like, you know, you have, like, Sean Og or Sean Rua, and but they feel more like nicknames and not, like, a codified thing. Like, we don't learn in school, like, oh, there's this thing we do with naming, and this is why everyone's got these multiple names. It just seems more nickname-based to me. Um, and, and so I was interested in bringing up and, and, uh, bringing that up and asking you, like, have you experienced this? Um, what are your thoughts on this? Um, it seems intuitively plausible or realistic or whatever to me. Uh, it just makes sense. And I'd be like, yeah, that, that seems about right. Um, it doesn't seem like it's the kind of thing that would be necessarily uh, codified i don't think it has to be you know legally codified for it to be a real thing that exists culturally and and people do and is worth talking about and to be taught in school the the specific claim being made there is that it's the um you know it's it's particularly common in rural irish speaking areas which aren't necessarily the kind of cultural practices that are going to be 
um, represented in, in mainstream education. Uh, sure, but it's not exclusive to rural Irish-speaking areas, according to the, to the source. Sure, sure. But, you know, I mean, I, I think, and I think especially a lot of, you know, education and stuff is, it's a, a homogenizing and a normative process that will try and, mm. and I think in, in our history, will try to like make things more similar to a national standard, um, which in practice was often Dublin and which in practice was often kind of aligned with foreign cultural values. Mm. So it's the easily the kind of thing that could be overlooked there. Um but yeah, and I mean, it's, that, that totally makes intuitive sense to me. I could, I could see that happening. And yeah, like you say, it's, it's nicknames, but it's just kind of a, you know, a, a bit more so, or it's nicknames treated more seriously. That's interesting. Yeah, I think therein lies the crux of the matter. Because I think, yeah, I, 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 again, I've, I've no experience in this. So I'm just making stuff up. But it, it, it feels like labeling them as like ceremonial names, TM, is a, it doesn't really feel like the intent that I can imagine rural. No, it's, it's, that's the normal names, not the ceremonial names, isn't it? No, no, but uh, if you look at the top of the comment, it was like, um, there can be many normal names people would have. Uh, sorry, there can be many names people would have, like legal names, ceremonial names, and normal names. So, yeah. so like, labeling all these things TM, like legal name TM, ceremonial name TM, seems a bit... Uh, I know overly prescriptive of what's going on, but I think you're what you're saying there about like their nicknames, but taking more seriously, um, th- that feels better to me. There's something about the wording yeah. of like a ceremonial name, like I, I just can't see going into the Gale Tucked and being like, "What's your ceremonial name?" I think people would look at you and be like, "The hell are you talking yeah, about?" I, 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 I'm assuming that's just like a. a a term being used in the academic context to discuss the the practice. It's not necessarily the the indigenous usage or the indigenous term that's used. It's just like in in, in some contexts people will be referred to as different things. And as an as an academic or as someone writing about it for a different audience, you need to have terms to to label them. Fully agree. Uh again my just my only reservation there is that I wonder if these terms are like they just I don't think they they're they are likely to uh, accurately reflect what's going on. Um, I don't know. It just it weirds me out this a little bit. Um, okay. I'm, 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 I, do you know what? It probably is just because, again, I've never experienced this before, so therefore I assume it doesn't exist, while also holding the thought that I've never really been to rural Irish-speaking areas and stayed there for a long amount of time. Um, mm. Possibly if I went there, I would you know, my opinions would, would change. Um, it just, I don't know. It's, it, it, it just, it strikes me as an over codification of, or, or, or an overly bombastic way of categorizing a, a practice that isn't so formal. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, that's my thoughts. Okay. I, I'm not sure if I have JSTOR access anymore, so I'm not sure I can read the, I believe the material. I believe you can try. You can. Oh, uh, I have. There is a page that comes up that has some relevant information in the link. Okay. You can you can read through that uh, a little bit. Um, and also, I said to the commenter that like um, there if it is published by the London School of Economics and Political Science uh, in mm-hmm. the 60s. That also gave me pause to be kind of like, is this a bit of uttering going on here? 
Yeah, I mean that that makes sense. Yeah. yeah that 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 so there's I don't know, there's something in this that I'm I'm not quite is not quite sitting with me very well. And and just to stress like to, to this commenter and anyone who's interested, I'm not saying that like no one in Ireland is called Sean Rua. It's just how we classify and categorize those kind of alt names. And yeah, it just feel it just this feels wrong to me uh, a little bit. I don't know. Um but anyway, that was Irish names. Yeah. Cool. And that was follow-up. Let's do some world building. Bill, we got some more world building. Give us a summary, then give us a read. Um we return to the exploits of Yar Teyartlin. <gasps> Yar! I, yeah. I really I really love I, I try never to like read your prose before um before you record i want to get it like fresh and raw off you uh i had no idea yara was coming back i'm so chuffed god i hope something <laughs> terrible happens to him let's go um okay uh let's just get straight into it my dear cousin i regret sincerely the delay in replying to your most recent letter I cannot lay the blame on the grim tidings it bore, though I thank you dearly for informing me of the terrible news, despite your own losses. I had already learned through company channels of the events in Nearsphere, and knew at once, before reports had confirmed it, that the violent lusts and anarchic fervour of the agitators had struck our own families. Though I weep for us both that we must live in a world where such horror and pain can befall us, I thank all fortune and all gods that you, dear, dear cousin, were spared the fate that struck down our fathers, and that you and our mothers and my brother are still safe from the turmoil gripping our city. I promise you that the weeks elapsed since the receipt of your letter have not been spent idly, nor have I allowed my industry to merely service the pursuits of wealth and career that once consumed me so wholly. Nothing of this interests me now. Advancement in a company can gain me nothing, nor can wealth, when the very foundation of our civilization is subsiding below us. My efforts have placed me back in command of a vessel, yes, but not in order to secure promotion or amass a fortune. I have returned to service in order to fight against agitation with the only methods such brutes understand. All my assets have been leveraged in the outfitting of a new vessel. Being found innocent in the affair of the Nomad, I am not without my supporters, cousin, many of whom have used their influence and their wealth to assist me in this endeavour. The Fasathi was outfitted with the greatest vint and batteries I could afford. We did not lack for numbers to crew the vessel. Some of my benefactors worried that my infamy as the victim of mutiny would attract crew seeking to foster further agitation, but every soul was thoroughly vetted, and all are staunch opponents of anarchy. I am not strictly under the command of any of the offices, though I am still within the company. Having raised the financing for the Fasathi myself, I am flying as a free agent, answerable to the military commission, but not under strict orders. A curious arrangement, you'll agree, but with the backing of my benefactors and the need for extreme measures against this coming storm front of dissent, one that has proved desirable to the Commission. 
I am taking the vessel on its maiden flight tomorrow. I have intelligence of a hidden portage route deep in the Transusin region, oft used by the Urthani. Disrupting this route should frustrate that wicked nation and their ambitions to shake the spires to the ground. I would dearly love to be in Mearsphere, finding those who burned our households and wrecked our businesses. But I know the company agents and city bailiffs are better placed to seek that justice, and my skills are better aimed elsewhere. I have sent a credit note to my representatives in Mearsphere. The remaining portion of my funds not invested in this expedition are at your disposal, dear cousin, for your use in the care of our remaining family. I will return as soon as it is safe for me to do so, and together we shall mourn, but we shall know that it is safe in Abesk at last. Yours, Contract Captain Yar Teyarthen, Tamar Company, Location Withheld. Okay, so uh, keeping up the fine tradition that was set last episode, I have an obnoxious amount of highlights here as well. Fantastic. Delighted. Uh, yeah, again, it could be I've horrifically misunderstood things, or it's all interesting, or both. Mm. Uh, who knows? We're about to find out. Um, tell me a little bit before I ask questions. So, the last we saw of Yar was his evidence um, in a sort of a, the, the tribunal about what happened on his previous... Uh, command the nomad which was taken over by mutineers and was kind of a, a major inciting event in the 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 turmoil that's that's occurring across Abesque at the moment um he was acquitted of any wrongdoing or any any charges um and has you know through through the kind of the fame or infamy of being involved in the affair he has attracted some supporters who are financing him now to become a sort of a something even closer to a privateer? He has outfitted a new vessel, and he is he is heading out kind of under his own um, under his own uh, impetus and his own direction to to fight against uh, agitation um, as a result of what has happened to his family. And there was some kind of riot or something in Mearsphere. And his father and his cousin's father, the, the cousin he keeps writing to, were both killed. Okay, so that's interesting because I, I I got something similar from this, but slightly different. Okay. Which we'll get into. So I wonder, uh, yeah, I'm eager to pick through your, through your brain here. Um, first of all, though, you mentioned uh, there was rioting in Mearsphere. So this is like a satellite conflict to what went on in Lansk in the previous episode, correct? Um. They're both part of the kind of the wider upheaval, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Um, the, yeah, and, and so they struck their own families. So uh, let me read out the quote. I had already learned through companies' channels of the events in Mearsphere and knew at once before reports had confirmed it that the violent lusts and anarchic fervor of the agitators had struck our own families. Mm-hmm. So is Yar a native of Mearsphere. Yar is from Mearsphere, yes. Yar is from Mearsphere. Okay, okay, cool. And, and remind me again, so who who died? Um, His father and his cousin's father, his uncle. Okay, and were they military people or were they just civilians? They were civilians. They were civilians, okay, okay. So, so Yar is like, on a human level, he has a right to be kind of aggrieved here. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
next line you mentioned like he, he says offhandedly i thank all fortune and all gods mm-hmm. just a, a little sidebar here all gods what's what's the can you give me a shtick about the religion the religious practices i haven't put that much thought into it just that they are like polytheistic um i don't know whether it's necessarily that there's kind of a, a unified polytheism or that there's a bunch of different religions and you know referring to all of them by saying that i thank all gods you know for someone who's not specifically dedicated to a single faith mm. okay. it could be either that that would be an interesting one a, a some sort of letter to do with um the religious mm-hmm. some sort of religious thing i know some some clerics writing to one another mm-hmm. um that would be kind of a fun one maybe not now because like you know we're in the midst of a conflict let's see the conflict through uh but afterwards that'd be a great one to explore i think um clerics can can have have a perspective on the conflict also i mean that's fair that is fair um yeah so then oh yeah and then sorry in the next line you're like it struck down our fathers um but the mother and brother are are safe Mm -hmm. um now here here is the bit right my efforts oh so, so first of all the whole second paragraph um where he's like um he has this sort of thing like i'm not in it for the career anymore and i'm not in it for like gaining ranks i don't know if you intended that to be a uh him being serious it sounded very much like i'm i'm a bit of a goody goody two shoes here and i'm not interested in like advancing but like i bought a ship and now i'm off you know advancing it seems very much like a i don't know like um look at me aren't i great Is, is that what you were going for um, not necessarily, but that's certainly a, uh, an interpretation that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, strike down. Hmm. Cause the line you have here is my efforts have placed me in command of a vessel. Yes, but not in order to secure promotion or amass a fortune. It, it, that again, it struck me very much like, you know, I, I'm, I'm in it, I'm in it for the good cause. And yeah, it's got me a vessel, but like, you know, that's. That's that's tangentially related to what it's actually I'm doing here. Um, just the way you'd phrase it made it really feel like a disingenuous statement on yeah. his part. I mean, like you know, he has he has um, form for being kind of slimy and gross. And <laughs> he does, yeah. Um, so it it could be that, or it, it could be honest that you know he's he's genuinely um, seeking seeking revenge, and this is his his or you know restitution of some sort. It could go either way. Yeah, and Perhaps so this time is. Will tell. This is skipping down a little bit, but it's it's related. Uh, quote, I am flying as a free agent, answerable to the military commission, but not under strict orders. So there's there's two ways I was thinking that this 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 plays out. Um, either like that's just a thing he's decided to do. He's decided to become like a solo contractor of his own volition. Or what I was thinking, given that I want Yara's life to just be a constant struggle and everything goes wrong for him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that he's been placed on you know the kind of you know in, in like uh, uh the civil service right you get you get those people who like clearly don't really have any job to do but they're just there because of like bloat and you can't get rid of them yeah um it feels a little bit like you know i'm not really working for them anymore but i'm kind of like still connected to them and i'm off doing my own thing it feels very much like the the, the military command or whatever is just kind of like, okay, look, we can't get rid of this, this Yara chap. Just just give him a feckin' ship. Let him be out there doing whatever the hell he wants to do. Keep an eye on him. Make sure he doesn't do anything stupid. But let's all concentrate on the actual important matters. Um, 
that's how it read to me. Is that what you were going for? No, quite the opposite. So he he was like, I so I need to avenge this. I'm going to decouple myself from the from um the structure I was under yeah. and go solo in order to be able to do that. Yeah. Okay. Can you see how my reading might be a thing? Kind of, but I don't think you'd if if someone was was useless that you'd give them a warship. I mean, that depends on the warship. You know, you get a rickety old again the the public service thing. Like, if they're useless, why give them an office? Yeah, but it could be like a, a, a sort of like um a broom closet somewhere. Um, depends on the warship, but I guess you say it was outfitted with the greatest devint and batteries I could afford. But but that would imply to me again that it's like he had to fork out to make this vessel be like decent because he was given just some crap piece of uh, piece of a ship and just told like go away don't annoy no well, he, he wasn't he wasn't given a ship he he bought the ship oh why did he oh and he bought the ship because he's gone like freelance yeah it was sort of freelance yeah so, okay okay um and it's kind of an arrangement where by by um by fronting the risk by paying out for the ship and and outfitting it and and getting the crew and stuff um he is given like independence and and uh kind of command and control to operate under their name and they they will get a cut but they're not they're not taking the risk on essentially sure sure um the question yeah how how affordable is a ship not very <laughs> so this would be uh, the equivalent of what buying a small private jet maybe yeah or maybe like you know buying properties buying properties okay okay yeah so in in theory well i I, and i I forget the exact this is a capitalist system isn't it that's been operated um is it is it a capitalist system that has like some modicum of upper mobility like can a commoner like rise to the ranks enough to be able to afford a mortgage on a ship Yes, there isn't. There isn't a kind of a large landed aristocracy. There, the the class system isn't kind of as embedded as it would be in in kind of European conceptions. Um, that mm. there, there's a gentry and there's an aristocracy. Um, it is much more kind of mercantile. Okay, so yeah, get the gaining of a ship is equivalent to purchasing a house as opposed to a private. Jet. Well, not 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 a house, like but like you know having low like buying loads of houses and factories kind of thing. It is. It oh, is okay. significant. It is significant. Okay, okay. Um, and just on, on the ship, while we're at it again, uh, can you remind everyone what a devint is? I'm pretty sure this is the the thing that makes the ship fly and go. Yeah, um, yeah. it's it's that's the, it. the the motive engine. And the we, we've never discussed, or you never discussed how this thing actually works. I have not. You have not. Uh, I'm assuming you probably don't intend to. I'm not sure whether I will. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's, that's disappointing, Bill. That's disappointing that, that my reading is not what's actually... Because now, but maybe you're setting up a sort of like a pseudo-redemption arc here where like, you know, he, he's shunned the career in order to go avenge the debts of his civilian family. Like, that's a kind of noble thing to do here. Like, are you, it feels like you're pulling the rug out from under me. And, and my reading of it was that like he was shunned by the companies Again, given some sort of crap tangential uh, or uh, uh, yeah, tangentially related job, and uh, he believes he's on the up, but he's actually not. So, uh, Bill, are you? Is this a redemption arc for you? I mean, he's certainly undergone some growth, 
Um, I don't know if I'd say going off to do war crimes in defense of imperialism is a is a redemption arc. <laughs> I mean, but all things are relative here, you know? Um, all things are relative. Yeah, um, but there's still war crimes. <laughs> well, I mean, no, but hold on. It, uh, we had this discussion before on the show about what constitutes a war crime. Um, but if if enemy combatants... I don't think that's a war crime because if enemy combatants murdered his civilian family, right? That that what they did is a war crime. Now he's still in bed. That's, that's not okay. Th- that's not in the text. It said you. Oh yeah, it's not in the text. But you told me that his families were civilians. Yeah, that they were killed. That or that that they died. And they were civilians. Yeah. Wow. Ah. Okay, that, so that it, doesn't mean they were murdered, and that doesn't necessarily make it like if they died in the course of a riot or something. And also, it's like it's not like there's an opposing army doing it. Mm. Okay, yeah, no, I, yeah, I take your point. I take your point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, if he did avenge that, that would be a war crime. Then, yeah. Okay, no, yeah. But also, um, he's not avenging against the people who did it. He explicitly isn't avenging against the people who did it. Uh, elaborate? I would dearly love to be in Mearsphere finding those who burned our households and wrecked our businesses. But I know my skills are better aimed elsewhere. Oh, I guess this might play into, like, the decentralized nature of the Groundsfolk Rebellion sort of thing. But, like, he can still... I'm imagining you can still... There are, like, many, many cells of this uprising around the place. And then he's like saying that I need to take down the people who are responsible for killing my family. I'm in this location. Let me target the cells closest to here to disrupt that thing, so that you know this sort of thing won't happen again. Like I it doesn't it doesn't seem outlandish to me that that he can that he doesn't have to go to Mearsphere um, to specifically like target the, the the dudes that did this. He can just target the organization as a whole. It's not an organization. Uh, yeah, and that's what I said about the start. It goes yeah. into like how decentralized so, it plays. So what he's doing is that there was a riot or there was something that happened in this place, right? And I perceiving that, or he is perceiving this as um, an overall trend which everyone with uh, grievances is equally responsible for. Oh, okay. So Darren is the, there's the yar that we all know and hate. Um, okay. Okay, cool. Um, he, he t- talks here, we have a quote here, disrupting this route would frustrate that wicked nation and their ambitions to shake the spires to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, does this play into what you're just saying? Like he is uh, projecting that. Yeah, on so the Earthani. There, there was whatever whatever happened in Mearsphere that like you know, we haven't gotten the details of in this letter. He is now going to disrupt the Earthani. Yeah, okay. I just completely didn't acknowledge that yeah. at all. Sorry, my bad. My and bad. also, it's actually not even the Earthani because, as we've said before, the Earthani are kind of sovereign, and it would mm-hmm. be like a, a significantly risky thing to actually engage them directly, even though they're. You know the Abeski are much more much stronger than them, and um, this is just people who work with the Earthani. It's not even mm. the Earthani themselves. Um, 
people who take things between between rivers for them. Yes, yeah, so that that yeah, because that makes his goal here a lot less pseudo honorable. Mm. Um, that makes it pretty awful. Yeah, I'm no, sorry. I, I, it's not that his legi- his grievances aren't legitimate. It's just you know you don't necessarily need to go war crimeing to <laughs> rectify it. Sure. Yeah. That that makes sense. That God. That was a subtle one, man. That was a real subtle one that I that I missed. Um, or maybe not, because I mean the the second half of the last the second half of the penultimate paragraph, uh, yeah, outlines exactly what you're saying. So my bad, my bad. The final two points I have is mm-hmm. just on names. Yep. Um, first of all, his dear cousin, not referred to by name. Yeah. It, does, is that does that matter? Notice that what what he's always called them in all the letters that he that he's written to them previously. Oh, this is the same dear cousin. Yep. Same dear cousin. Oh, okay. I think okay, it's okay. His, his third letter to them. And then is there any, I don't know if you do this, do you think of ethnologies when you come up with your names? Like if the Fasathi, does that mean anything? Yes. Oh, what does it mean? Um, so uh, Fasath is one of the planets in the system. It's the desert planet. Mm. Um, and I think in his first letter to his cousin, uh, he, talk, he wrote about navigating via Fasath, um, seeing it in the sky. Um, and I'm thinking here it's it's probably something to do with like revenge or vengeance or you know it's got a, a mythological uh, connection you know the way Mars is the god of war or whatever mm. that the Fasath um, is is seen in, in some kind of thing to do with with you know sh- striking back. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming the nomad is just the English word the nomad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's that's not a... What's this language? Would you... A, a besky? Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's been doing some solid conlang work behind the scenes here. Um, cool. That is... Oh, yeah, the final, final point is contract captain. Do you want to just uh, lay out exactly what contract captain means? Because that is Yar's new title. So that, that is what he is now with this arrangement with the um, with the military commission. He's He's not under any of the the kind of the offices, the normal command structure. He's a bit more of a free agent. He is the captain of the vessel, um, like a like a privateer in in kind of the age of sail. Um and he is contracted with with the, the military commission. So he's a contract captain. Can you define privateer for those of us who aren't mad into the age of sail? So you know pirates? I do. So privateers did piracy legally. Privateers did piracy legally. Yes, so they would they would like attack ships of other nations and steal their stuff, but it was legal to do so. They had what were called letters of mark, um, so they were authorized by the king or whoever to to engage in in like naval theft by by attacking other vessels and stealing their stuff. And and is this. Because the immediate question that comes to mind is, is why not just incorporate these guys into the military itself? But is this because you don't want to be seen to be attacking other nations' ships? So you do it, like, through the private market, so to speak? In the real world. In the real world. Uh, well, no, it's definitely, it's very much an act of war. And you, you, you will attack people that you are at war with. Um, but it's it's kind of like what I was saying before. You don't have to, to front the, the cost of it yourself. You, you, someone's issued with a letter of mark and they go and they outfit a ship and they have a crew 
and they get something out of it and they give a cut to the to the king i assume but it's just like you know you're 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 getting the effect without having to do it yourself mm. those are all the points i have on this um do you have any is there anything i missed um yeah so so he's got all these kind of wealthy backers who who are helping him and kind of uh, you know after he became to prominence in in the affair of the nomad and the mutiny um it's it's not clear to me whether they're genuinely interested in in him or he's just a kind of a useful a useful tool for their ambitions it could be either could be a mix of that um hold on why back someone who who has his terrible track record because he is so he's known as he he's known to the public as someone who who had kind of suffered from um the 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 agitation so you mm. could kind of make him out as a sort of a martyr kind of figure um oh, and you look okay. he uses kind of a public face and if you back him and uh you know help him recover his reputation or help him do something then that's kind of a show of strength on the a, a show of the strength of the the existing system the status quo Mm, okay cool something like that um i was originally going to write that the uh, more of the family had been killed um and it was just him and the cousin left but i was reading something recently about how actually that's actually quite a boring story concept that everyone is dead and you've got nothing more to lose it's kind of more interesting that you have something left to protect in a lot of ways agreed Um, agreed yeah yeah for sure and yeah uh so he's intelligence of a hidden portage route this occurred to me uh because you know the vikings like the tv show or the actual vikings (laughs) the actual vikings (laughs) yeah okay the vikings yeah got it and you know the way that they traded with like constantinople and around the black sea and stuff i'm dimly familiar yeah and but they're originally from Scandinavia. Sure. How do you get from Scandinavia to the Black Sea? I mean, if if, if you're going via water, you'd go through the Mediterranean. Yeah, but that takes uh, ages, right? It does, yeah. And the Vikings that were trading with Constantinople and on the Black Sea and stuff were the Vikings that were in what's now Russia, right? Mm-hmm. You can't get a river from the baltic to the black sea so do you know what they did what did they do god you're really drawn the suspense here is amazing they carried the boats over land you see i was figuring i figured they'd probably do that yeah um, does that seem kind of mad yeah i was just like why do why, why not just set up an intermediary land trader so you just rock up on the shore your dude's there having collected the things from constantinople you pick it up and you go back to where you came from Cut out the go, land part. You want to go there yourself because otherwise, you, like you lose, like you lose a bit on each part of the transaction. Maybe you will. Yeah, I guess there's a cost benefit analysis there. Yeah. So, so they just like they picked up their boats and just like hauled them. Apparently, or maybe they had new boats on like the other river and they carried all the stuff across. But I think they, they might have actually carried boats. Yeah. Wow. Because I was reading so about that recently. Because I was thinking, like, how do you get from from the Gulf of Finland to constantinople without taking years going around or you know a year going around europe and yeah they just carried it 
carried it like 70 kilometers and put it in another wow. river. Wow. Yeah. And so, so what you're saying in your world here, there's like, Yar has discovered the land route or something. He's discovered a land route, yeah, in, in the Transucian region um, used by Earthanis. So there's like people who aren't Earthani, but they, they will like portage stuff for them. Mm. From one river to another. Interesting. Mm. Um, oh, so the Earthani are doing what I, what I suggest the Vikings should have done. They've set up like a middleman. To do I don't think part. they've set up a middle man, but they just like they found a guy, bunch they of guys. Larry, <laughs> specifically Larry, um, <laughs> and they they work with them. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, yeah, anything final? Uh, I think that's everything. Cool. All right, let's do. Shall we do some green room? No, we shan't do green room. That's right, because we need to do some of uh, my world building. Um, I still haven't got used to the fact that there is regular world building on my end. Um, <laughs> so just listeners, I will say let's do green room an awful lot when we when we really shouldn't do green room. Um, since the last release of the podcast or the previous episode of the podcast, I've released two videos, how to build a habitable planet, how to build a moon. Both of those are linked in the show notes if the show notes are showing up. And um, yeah, Bill, have you got any any thoughts, any questions? Uh, I have a thought on episode five, how to build a habitable planet. Mm-hmm. F*** you, Edgar. What? Low G worlds are done to death, are they? Yeah. Okay, well, I guess I, I guess you don't want to hear anything more from Yarta Yartlin then. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. If, if uh, Ikerd is a low G world. <laughs> F*** you. I mean, I mean, I'm not wrong. <laughs> Um, what did I have from this? Uh, I have a couple of technical questions, sort of tangential to the the topic. Well, actually, not related to the topic, related to just the video end of things. <laughs> when you do those graphic sections and like you draw in things, are you using a, a stylus and a tablet, or are you using a, your mouse or what? Wow, Bill, that's a, usually you you don't care for the tech talk at all. What is what has spurred you to ask about tech? I don't know. I just I, I yeah. wondered. Yeah, no, it's it's a drawing tablet. I have a yeah. Wacom little... I have the cheapest possible Wacom tablet one can buy. Does the job. Wonderful. Um, yeah, the, again, I mean, I didn't have a huge amount to say about, about it um, other than that one thing. Um, uh, about episode five. Um, also, I'm really liking the... New, I, I didn't mention this in the previous things. I really like the new intro, you know, the logo. The artifacts logo. You. Yeah, I think that's 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 a really that's a really uh, stylish intro. Shout out to the patrons who helped workshop that a little bit. Yeah, um, that's good. I think I think yeah, they they added a little bit of extra magic with their with their suggestions. That's it's on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was an episode. Yes, this was an episode six. Uh, why did you say you don't want any uh, total eclipses? Just because, like, I don't know, it's not, I, I like, I like if I cull things, if it's like, oh, on this world, this phenomenon just doesn't happen. Mm. Um, and you can't have a world without annular eclipses, you know, you, that's non-cullable, but you can cull the total eclipses. So I'd be like, oh, I was, I was a bit disappointed when it was like, turns out the moon and the sun would interact like they do on Earth. Um, and it would have been nice if they didn't. Do you not think it would have, like, severe cultural repercussions to have no total eclipse? Yeah, but that's a good thing. But, like, without a total eclipse, how could you ever have Total Eclipse of the Heart written by Jim Steinman and sung by Bonnie Tyler? Everybody!
Like, how could a society really progress past the 1980s level without an analogue to Total Eclipse of the Heart being written? I mean, I, I've erred my ways, Bill. I'll, like, I'll go back and edit the video. See, this, this, is why, this is why you need me, man. <laughs> this is why you need me. <laughs> but on a, on a more serious point, I did. I, if, if it had come out that there was no Total Eclipses, and remember, there are humans on this world that came from Earth... Um, it'd be kind of fun you can imagine stories being passed through the generations how on on the home planet or like where they came from their garden of eden the world would like blacken during the day and like the young people would be like what are you talking about should that can't ever happen um you know it just okay granddad (laughs) yeah exactly yeah (laughs) granddad's been drinking again he thinks that the sun disappears um you could have like you could have like yeah little stories that turn like earth earth's total eclipses into like pseudo mythos Mm. um and then you know you know the whole story about like in um i think it was in the greco-persian wars it's probably erroneous but uh, apparently they were fighting and then a total eclipse happened and like the fighting all stopped and they were like what is this this magicness and all that sort of crack. Um, you could easily see Total Eclipse is turning into a mythos. So if you didn't have them on, on the secondary world. So I was a little bit disappointed. I, I take a point. I take a no, point. But, but it's, it's not a big deal, really. Um, yeah. Um, Total Eclipse of the heart. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I got to ask these questions. I got to ask these questions. Um, yeah, I mean, again, the videos—they're—they're they're very clear, informative. I, I don't have a lot to, to to doubt or question about them. I enjoyed the stuff about the the chlorophyll or the the plant color analogs, and the two cool. strategies. That was cool. But um, cool. Yeah, that's that. That's pretty much everything. Okay, so now in keeping with the previous episode, I'm not going to talk about any of the videos, and we're going to talk about some more of the stuff upcoming um how i might deal with this last episode we talked about how i'd kind of like to run a modern setting Mm -hmm. sprawling mega cities um yeah like east asian type mega city environment which i find really appealing the more i thought about this the more i thought that that just is not going to work at all given the setup and again the setup is that humans have come to this planet um the means by which is a is not fully established yet in my head, um, but they've they've been kind of stranded here basically, um, the, and the story okay for what will pass as a story in this setting uh, takes place maybe about like a thousand years post the the Great Stranding, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's pretty unlikely that a bunch of humans, say in their thousands would get stranded on a world and within a thousand years they've like created mega soul uh like soul the city i think that's pretty unlikely yeah and uh, particularly given that they're on a world that's going to be hostile to them like they won't be able to uh readily eat the local flora and fauna because different biochemistries and things like that so they're going to spend like the first i would imagine like couple hundred years uh just like not dying off as a species on this planet and and just struggling to maintain a foothold in the ecosystem and then you know that leaves you with another couple of hundred years to develop and they have none of the infrastructure none of the tools you know and so on so the the idea of doing a modern setting as much as i would love to do a modern setting and talk about urban planning and 
highways and interchanges and all the fun things that city mapping can bring. I just don't think it works here at all. And it has to be a thousand years. Like you couldn't make it a longer timescale to get into the material you're more interested in. Uh, I could, yeah. The thousand years is just purely based on um, like the language that I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm thinking that it takes a thousand years for the language that I will make to go from its proto state when they first landed to its modern state. Um, So, which is kind of reasonable ish for for a language to to, uh, that sort of time frame is reasonable ish for a language. So I could do more, but I guess that's more for me to kind of like track, you know, Mm -hmm. and evolve through. Um, So I think, yeah, a fairly short amount of time, geologically speaking after they arrive will be when modern, when the present day is, I think. Um, So I think the only way forward is to have this be a, like a Neolithic setting, uh, which is the polar opposite (laughs) of what I would enjoy um, on the face of thoughts. Um, I think there's maybe a compromise in that they will bring a lot of material with them and a lot of um knowledge with them that will allow them to kind of skip certain things or they will have significant advantages over just like landing there you know like naked in a field and having to build civilization if they're coming from spaceships and they know how levers work and fire works and things um you know, it won't necessarily go back to Neolithic. They'll they'll be able to build log cabins and stuff. Build yeah. the dead right, as okay. always. Cool. Um, <laughs> so that that is what I was thinking as well. I think the having the the having the knowledge for sure. Like they'll have the knowledge of modern day humans. And I'm yeah. going to just say for the sake of it, so I don't have to be like they also know how to build a warp drive. Um, I'm going to say that they're roughly their their level of knowledge is roughly equivalent to like us but in the near future say us but with like slightly better spacefaring abilities no warp drives no like wormhole generators like they don't have that sort of knowledge they've come from like uh, a generation ship yeah kind of okay. like that that sort of thing yeah um because otherwise then i have to deal with the thing about like why aren't they building a portal mm. uh, you know that sort of thing um so i agree that they have the knowledge the 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 two the sort of materials is a bit more up for debate because I think that it would all depend on how they actually got there. Um, if I imagine a generational ship crashing or being, being what's the word to be crashed? Like purposely crashed into something. Crash there's landed? No, there's a naval term for that where you purposefully, like to beach, something like beaching. Oh, okay, you, yeah. I know what you mean. Where, where it's like purposely crash landed. Um, the... They the, the the amount of material they have would be equivalent to what would survive said crash, mm-hmm. which could be fairly limited. And I think a lot of maybe perhaps the more useful materials, like a lot of electronics, might probably end up dying in the crash, but you'd be left with the steel and things like that. Um so I think that how they get there is important, uh, in terms of the their the base materials that they can use to kick off civilization. But like I said, I was thinking like you, and I'm I'm half thinking that you could go for a sort of like electro Neolithic, right? And I'm I'm not really sure how doable this is. So if there's any electrical engineers uh, in in comments, please talk to me. Um, I, I I need to, I need advice on this. 
if they have the knowledge of electricity plus some perhaps materials from the ship, I wonder could they get to the stage where their civilization looks a lot like uh, like a, a sort of Aztec or Maya civilization, but on steroids, so like bigger stone cities, but they also have very limited use of, say, electricity. And it's only something that maybe the elites might use because it's so difficult to to make and produce. Because um, that, like, aesthetically, that sounds so fun. Like, imagine, like, a, a, a Mayan city, but, like, lit up. Isn't that dope? And I'm not sure how feasible it is, so that's why I'm bringing it up here again. Anyone who's any way related, to, uh, works in any field that's related to, like, you know, like uh, electrical engineering, computer engineering, that sort of thing, please talk to me. I want to know how doable this is, because I'm kind of on my own here. I don't really understand how electricity works and the infrastructure required around it or you know other other modern sort of conveniences Mm -hmm. but but initially what do you think of that a sort of like they're basically the stone age but they've like skipped through the tech tree a little bit more on certain elements so you get a a modified sort of yeah maya aztec neolithic sort of thing aesthetically that's very cool cool Uh, just off the top of your head doability um My wonder is about like the the division of labor needed to have people to maintain electronics and stuff. Um more so than the the technological feasibility of it. Like if you're if you've got people, you know, at a kind of a stone age farming level or whatever, um how would they have the maintain the training and the knowledge and stuff and then the time to 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 maintain Oh. The, the actual systems oh my god oh my god what? oh my god i I've, I've got it i don't i actually don't want to talk about this on air because this is revealing some sort of key spoilers but hold on i need you just maybe think of a thing okay i'm glad okay so i'm gonna say it to you here bill and i'm gonna beep this out or cut this and just give me a yay or nay if you think it's worth pursuing okay Okay, yeah. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Um, okay. Now, just don't refer to that bit ever again in the rest of this call because that has to be cut. Okay. I have a general thing. Mm-hmm. So how are they generating electricity? I, I don't know. And this is why I need to talk to yeah. someone who knows about this. Like, I'm imagining, because you can get electricity by, like, tur- like turning turbines or something. Right. So... If you can, if you can machine reliable turbines and and motors and stuff, that seems like it's probably already a fair bit above a Neolithic. You're like you're getting into industry there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I wonder again if I talk to a, an electrical engineer, can this can it be done in a sort of non-heavy industry sort of way? Mm. But I mean, like. Even without having heavy industry existing, the, the the prerequisites for it feel like they would be there. If you've got something that can reliably turn a bunch of times, you're going to need to have, you know, decent metallurgy and an understanding of, of mechanics and stuff. Yeah, again, the understanding is there, mm. for sure. Um, Like, yeah, some engineer might get stranded there and they know exactly what to do. 
um, and they're able to pass on that knowledge. I guess the reliability stuff, does it need to be reliable? Because I'm not envisaging like, you know, again, a Mayan civilization, but every house has electricity. I'm talking like electricity is an extremely rare thing. Maybe it has quasi a religious sort of significance and only occurs in like temples or only the elite have it and only at special times. Um, like, I wonder if you could make electricity just a very, very, very marginal but important part of the civilization. Could you get away with uh not going so far down the industrialization route. And I don't, I just, I do not know the answer to that because again, I, I'm not an electric engineer, but like, I mean, obviously this wouldn't work at a large scale, but like you can get electricity from like a lemon, do you know? Uh, so, and you can power a little LED. Uh, I, I wonder, you know, if you can generate electricity at that, such a small scale, I wonder is there must be an in-between between the the lemon and like, you know, a, a hydroelectric dam. Do you know what I mean? And I wonder if if there's something just closer to a lemon, but that can be rolled out at a, at a bigger scale. I feel like the thing closer to the lemon is, you know, between, between the lemon and the hydroelectric dam is still like, I don't know, a steam engine. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Steampunk Neolithic. <laughs> yeah... It could be. And I mean, that may, maybe that's fine. Like, maybe you still can end up with a... Because hmm. uh, I think the, the, the natural conclusion of this is that it, it leads to a very broken earth style setting where the tech like level yeah. is just all over the gaff. And that's kind of good you, and fun. You have fun. people who, who are electrical engineers and you have people who nap obsidian. Precisely. Yeah. And I, I think that is a really fun thing to go for. Um, it's just the implementation of it is going to be difficult because as you as you immediately bring out like the minute you're like oh they have electricity that just opens up a can of worms, um, so yeah, electrical engineers please talk to me please please talk to me or any bloody engineer anyone at all who has any knowledge about like modern infrastructure <laughs> talk to me because uh, so far my googling of like could Stone Age people have had a light bulb is not working very well. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's where we're at i think thus i think that where it currently stands is no mega cities it can't happen um they're gonna look more like yeah like like mesoamerica basically um but hopefully with some broken earth-esque tech thrown in there to make it a little bit more interesting um you think that's a good idea in general that's everything I'm saying is kind of, I'm heading down the right path, you think? I, I, I think it's got a lot of potential. I'm interested okay. to see where it goes. Cool. Um, so now do you actually want to do the green room? Uh, actually into the green room this time. Okay, green room. But we can't do the green room because we have to what? do the green room. <sighs> Jesus, Bill. God damn it. If my heart stopped, I was like, oh no, what else have I forgotten? <laughs> um, two PSAs to start off the green room. Next episode, we're going to be doing the cooking episode. Bill and I are going to make and review some ancient Greek food on air whilst also talking about assorted ancient Greek culinary traditions. Hell yes, brother. And multiple tangents as well. As always. 
as always, that's one thing. The other thing is I'd like to do uh, Artifacts in Book Club Corner again in the near future. Um, lots of people have brought up in the past Jade City and it got mentioned again in the Reddit for the previous episode. I'd like to look at Jade City, if that's okay with you. Absolutely, yeah. Not the next show, possibly the show thereafter. We'll, sure. s- we'll see yeah. how it goes. Um, the only thing I have in Green Room, uh, like I don't really have much to add in Green Room here. Uh, I, I've been playing Final Fantasy VII, mm-hmm. and unless you've also been playing it, this is this conversation is probably going to go nowhere. So, have you been playing this game? The remake of Final Fantasy VII? Correct. I have not. Okay. I do not have a PlayStation. You don't have a PlayStation? No. Wow. Do you have any console? I own an Xbox One, but it's not, I, I, it doesn't live with me. <laughs> you and the Xbox have been divorced. It's got custody of the kids. <laughs> custody of all my damn games. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's 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 in my family home, and it's not in, in my current uh, oh, where I'm living. Why? Because I don't have a TV. That'll do it. Yeah, you can save on the old um, TV license by not having a TV. I mean, it's it's not that the TV license is that much, but it's kind of a principal thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Tangent. This this applies to absolutely no one but Irish people. Um, uh, I agree fully. I, I I hate that it's like you have to pay for the TV license even if you do not avail of what the TV license is providing. Yeah. If, if I had a TV, I would happily pay it, but I'm kind of, no, I'm feeling no, no, a bit no, contrarian no. about it. No, no, no. I, I disagree. Disagree. I, like, I should be able to have a television for the sole purpose of, like, playing PlayStation mm-hmm. that's not hooked up to any boxes. Like, I should be able to do that and not pay for a service that I'm not availing of. Like, it, that's insane. And they all, they brought up, like, um, I think it was a year or two ago, pre-pandemic, they were talking about how they were going to have the TV license apply to other, like, tech devices. Mm. So, like, if you own a phone that is in any way capable of receiving Irish uh, terrestrial programming, you're liable for the TV license. And I'm like, that's nonsense. Like, that is absolute nonsense. Like, Anything I am, that can I, access the internet. Yeah, I know, right? It's just, it's just, it's so dumb. And I just, I, I just hate it so much. Now, luckily in our situation, we actually don't pay for a TV license, which is great. Um, because you get a free TV license if you live with someone who's over 70 odd or something oh, like that. Yeah. So I, I kind of don't have to have this like moral question floating around. It's just like, yeah, grand, it's free. It's fine. But like once, should I not be living with an old person, which will happen at some point in the relative near future or near to midterm future, um, I will strongly consider um, just getting rid of the television because I don't want to pay for a service I'm not using. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's an argument to be made. I'm so sorry. To chan- okay. No, I'm going to finish it. There's an argument to be made that like if, it's kind of like the taxation argument. Tax everyone so you have a pool of money to be able to pay for services, right? That's fine, and I'm on board with that. If the thing I'm 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 receiving is publicly funded, like exclusively, right? Like if I, if you're going to tax me for to have a television, and your your um, the reasoning behind it is that we want to give you public publicly funded programmings, cool. I'm on board. What I'm not on board with is our national broadcaster sort of bizarre it's both a public body and a private enterprise at the same time methodology um where it's like it is subject to the whims of the market in terms of what programming it shows but it also kind of isn't it's like that that's a model like i just don't agree with like tax me 
and then make a public service, like a true public service. Do like what the BBC does, where there's like basically no advertising. Mm. Why is there advertising on a public service? And it's just, it's so stupid. And then tying that into like, oh, well, if you own something that's connected to the internet, you have to pay for this this service that is public, but also private. It's just, I, I hate it so much and I'm morally against it. I just, <laughs> ugh, it's the worst. Surely, do you, do you agree with anything I just said? Yeah, but not strongly. Oh. It's like, yeah, you know what, what you're gonna do. It's kind of <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how the elites get you, Bill. It's true apathy. That's that's <laughs> true. That's true. This is cause for revolution, Bill. I'm, and I'm well known for my for my apathy towards the the um, actions of the government and the system. Uh, sarcasm? Question mark. No comment. No comment. I actually. Don't actually know which, how you read that, but anyway. <laughs> point point being, I'm playing Final Fantasy VII. Um, uh, I guess I'm going to address the listeners more. I'll address you, Bill. So, uh, cool. high and by, um, folks who have played this game, is this a good game? I want to know what you think about this because I, I've been reading the reviews. I've played through the game. I'm on my like one point five fifth playthrough of the thing, um, and like it's fine but then i go online and people rave about it. it's like the best game of the year when it was released it's this like masterpiece and like i'm playing and i'm like there are some very big clear flaws here and lots of uh not problems but lots of kind of missteps in it and there, there are bits that are just like overwhelmingly dull for like huge swaths of time and like are we all just like it's final fantasy games though isn't it no, Final Fantasy names games are great. Don't yeah, disparage them. Like they're they're great games, but they they do have like kind of periods where there isn't a lot happening, don't they? Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on how how you define that. Like, I I, I can't I, I can't tell you why the air quotes boring parts in say Final Fantasy nine or ten don't feel as tedious. And as boring as what's in seven. Fair There's enough. just something about the way it's constructed just feels a bit like, oh, we're doing this again. And, and I guess one big main criticism criticism of it, of it, and this kind of goes against my I love modern secondary worlds, is the whole game is set in uh, a, a giant like mega city. Mm. Um, and like that, that to me, and I know that they want to release several parts of this game, but like it feels really anti-Final Fantasy to have it all be set in like one location. Yeah. The whole point of the Final Fantasy is this, this this giant sprawling adventure where you, you know, you go to desert islands and thick jungles and like giant cities and you you go through time and it's this it's this fantasy. Whereas this is like you're a terrorist cell, an eco-terrorist cell doing your business in a city and that's the whole game. You never really, barring the past five, past like, oh, sorry, the last like 10 minutes, leave the city and so aesthetically it's always the same like for a 50 60 hour game the aesthetics never change and that i just i really disliked that and it just made it really boring but then again I, I, like i say i read the uh, the reviews and everyone's like no greater game has ever been made and i'm just really confused like am i am i so off here i don't know so someone who has played this game talk to me in comments i'd like to know about this um, I have heard similar criticisms to what you've said. Good, because some of the criticisms I've come across, I, I think, are non-criticisms. Like, one of the big ones is that the game is very linear. Um, mm. And that, I don't think, is a, is a criticism. 
uh, at all, really, because it's like that is kind of par for the course, at least historically, for Final Fantasy games. You buy a Final Fantasy game, it's going to be linear. And the whole point is, it's like a book. You like read through the story the way the author intended. Um, that's like a stated, almost stated goal of, of what they're attempting to do. Um, whereas if it was like an open world game that was badly made and turned out to be linear, that would be terrible. Um, that would be against the goals of it. So like the criticism of it being linear, I just, I, I think is a, just a, a non-criticism. They just don't get the point of the game, I don't think. Mm. Um, but I haven't heard many people criticize the the aesthetics and the sort of like lack of sprawling across a world and things like that. So that's good that I'm not like completely alone here. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's the green room. That's We're the done. Green room. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I had to say. Actually, you've been saying you've been playing some Grand Theft Auto uh, of late. I have, yes. Yeah. Is there any rumors about them making a new Grand Theft Auto? Loads. Uh, and are these like just like wishful thinking or is there have there actually been like some leaks and it's, it is literally around the corner? Um. So I was actually reading about this the other day. There, there's been loads of leaks over the past couple of years. Um, and according to financial filings um, from Rockstar, they've got a major um, marketing spend coming up in late next year, I think. Yeah, late 23. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, based on their previous filings and, and release schedule, would be the, the ramp up to release a new title. And, I mean, like, is it pretty clear it's going to be GTA or is there going to be another, like... They make Red Dead, don't they? They do, yeah. Um, so Grand Theft Auto Five and Online, I think, is the most financially successful piece of entertainment in history. So that's what I've been reading, that they've just... They've they've basically killed the single-player game and they're just investing all their time into GTA Online. Yeah, so like Five didn't get any single-player DLCs. Um, and Red Dead didn't get Red Dead Redemption Two didn't get any single player DLCs, and the Red Dead Two Online is is pretty it's kind of fine like it's 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 good crack, but it kind of it runs out of steam quite quite quickly. Um, so yeah, it's, it's speculated that there will be a GTA Six. Um, rumors include that it'll be uh, it'll be set in the past again. It won't be a contemporary one. It'll be set in the seventies and eighties. Uh, mainly based around Vice City, uh, possibly with DLCs um, adding other cities that you can go to, which is an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. That's uh, good. Like um, that. And it'll be do with like the cocaine trade and stuff. And it'll be a single protagonist, not like three from five, not like three protagonists as they had in five. I think that's a good idea too. Um, I, I liked I liked th- that element in five, but I mean, you know, we've done us fine to go back to another one. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind either way. Mm. Um, and it's going to take a little bit from Red Dead Redemption 2 in that you can't carry around a ton of weapons with you. Um, you'll have like mm. more limited slots. And your car is actually going to be like really important that your car is where you carry all of your stuff that you you don't have on your person. Uh, it's one of the rumors I've heard. But yes, okay. it looks like there's something major coming from Rockstar uh, next year or the year after. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, maybe at some point... Before that game releases, a PS5 might become available. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I was looking at Smith's, uh, this is a toy, toy store 
uh, chain in Ireland, folks. And because um, I was like, oh, I, I I would like to get a PS5. That would be great because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm borrowing my sister's PS4. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I should really get my own console because it's not really fair that I'm like, uh, like I, you know, text her and be like, can I get your PlayStation tonight? And then the next night, can I get your PlayStation again? <laughs> and then it's just, so she like, functionally, she just never has the PlayStation at nighttime, uh, which is when you play most of the games. So I was like, I really should buy my own thing. And I went to Smith's and they were like, they had all these listings for ps5s and i was like oh that's great it's really good that we're out of the drought uh and then every single listing you click on it and it's kind of like out of stock Mm. updates coming in september um and then i checked i think it was yesterday and it's like out of stock updates coming soon i'm like okay there's no ps5 (laughs) thank you bitcoin miners um it's actually my laptop woes Oh no, Bill, you've laptop woes. Are you recording on the laptop that is having laptop woes? It is not having laptop woes, luckily. It had laptop woes. Oh, okay. What's going on? What happened? I was uh, house-sitting for some friends a couple of weeks ago. And the day I got there, I took my laptop out to play some Grand Theft Auto. And I opened it up and the screen was cracked through. How did you crack your screen? It was in a bag, and I guess just, like, it bumped against something, or there was too much in the bag, or I don't know. So that was very, very upsetting. Can can you do screen repairs on laptops? Well, I, someone did. <laughs> okay. It, I've, I've never heard anyone get a screen repair on a laptop. Screen repair is only things you hear people discuss in the context of phones. Right. Yeah, no, it was, it was possible. It took it took a few days. Um, luckily, I was I was in Dublin, and there was a there was a, a place like ten minutes walk away which had good reviews, so I left it in there, and they they gave me um they gave me a, a new SSD as well because I'd had like a kind of a small one when I bought mm. it, and I thought yeah I won't be using that much, and just like the system took up so much space so quickly, um, mm. so now I've got a what was go on sorry what was what was your SSD size originally two fifty six. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's nearly always too small for almost all use cases. Yeah, because previously, like, I'd had, like, a 500 gig hard drive, like, a, an old HDD on my last laptop, and it, it only, it didn't use that much. Um, I had loads of space left over from it, because, I and, you know, I'd be, I'd, I'd get rid of stuff, and I'd have external backups and things, but for whatever reason, this just Good. filled up real quickly. Um, but, yeah, so the cloned everything onto a one terabyte ssd and there's a second slot in the laptop so you put the 256 back in as, as a backup one so nice yeah nice that's really cool so that was nice um, so those are my laptop woes, and i was worried it wouldn't be solved in time to record but it was good good i'm glad i'm glad and also like just having i i, I will make this tech talk we'll just finish after the statement and that's on mm-hmm. um having i know obviously you know it's a luxury to be like just buy a two terabyte sid ssd or whatever like yeah. they're expensive um but i think it is worth always considering having more room than you might think you need um for the obvious reasons of future expansion but also for things like swap and i'm assuming windows work similar to how mac does it in that if you if you um, top out the RAM, if you're doing something really intensive and top out the RAM, the system will write data to the SSD temporarily right. um, as a means of keeping those processes going. So if you have a, like an underpowered laptop, but you want to do some like photo editing or do some video sort of thing, and if a system allows for swap, which again, I think Windows would do... Um, it needs room on the SSD to do that. So just having ample room so the system can do its do its stuff um, is is useful. 
And I think that's a consideration that like, uh, unless I'm horrifically misinformed here, uh, I think it's a consideration that people don't think about. They just go like, how many photos do I have? Mm. They take up 200. Okay, well then 256 is perfect. It's like, yeah. you, you need more headroom than that for sure. Sure. Uh, tech talk done. All right, Bill, I'll talk to you next time. I'll, t- I'll see you in Greece next time. I'll see you in ancient Greece. Yeah. For breakfast. Exactly. <laughs> uh, folks, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks for supporting the show on Patreon. We still have, we still no longer have, uh, the AdSense thing. YouTube is like, you're too poor to earn your cents. Um, so thank you for supporting the show. It means a lot. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed and until next time. Edgar, Edgar out. out. Thank you.